over the last several weeks, we've been in this journey with Moses. If you've missed any of it, you can go, by, go to our website and catch up. And hopefully you've got Swindoll's book, Moses, and have been reading that along with us. And we find ourselves now kind of in the middle of the journey, and we get to Exodus chapter 17. And I, when I was writing out this series, you know, what are we going to hit on? I hit 17, and I saw it, and it's very familiar. It's when Moses is uh, battling the Amalekites, and, um, and, and Aaron and her are holding up his hands. And I said, oh, this will be an easy message. This will be a message on community until I got into it. There's more there than you guys would know. But I want to say this to you. God has hardwired every one of our hearts for community, for community. Uh, he says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and God said, it is not good for man to be alone, but I'll create for him a helper corresponding to him. Now, you see that helper corresponding to him? That is a terrible translation of the Hebrew. What the Hebrew really says, what the Hebrew's original language, what it really says, a rescuer from his aloneness. Corresponding to him kind of sounds like, that's my buddy. No, it's a rescuer from aloneness because we're hardwired for community. Now listen, you need a communal relationship with God every day. You need to be alone with God every day because when you're with God, you're not alone. And you need a relationship in community with other believers all the time. Because if you're not, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. So you need that relationship with God. So we call it around here a God time, a group time, and a gathering time. Those three G's that keep us in line with God. So I looked at this passage and said, this will be easy. This will be a 15-minute talk. I'll tell you, y'all, y'all need to get in a group because you've got to have a Moses and her. But then I started digging, and I found there's so much more to this than what I was going to teach. So we're going to look beyond the obvious. Is that all right with y'all? Well, you're going to get it whether or not it's all right with you or not. You're stuck. Yeah. So here's some thoughts I want you to see. Now, let me allow you to set up this talk. Uh, just kind of get you up to speed in case you haven't been here. Um, Moses sets the Hebrew children free. They, they come out of Egypt. They go through the, the uh, Red Sea. The Red Sea parts, and it drowns the army of Egypt. They find themselves in the wilderness. I like that the fact that it's called the wilderness of sin, S-I-N, the wilderness of sin. Some say it's synonymous with Sinai, but it's the wilderness of sin. And they find themselves, they run out of water. The water, they get to a place called Mirah, which means bitter, and the water was bitter. And they cried out to Moses, Moses, the water's bitter. And so Moses throws a stick in the stream. God says, there's a branch. Throw that into the, into the water, and it'll come sweet. And they did, and they drank, and they were satisfied. Then they moved to another place, and then they were around seven palms, 70 palms, and then they moved to another place and they ran out of water again. Can you imagine running out of water in the desert? Duh, two million people, they're out of water. And so at this time, God says, strike the rock. Now, these people were so upset with Moses at this point, they were ready to stone him. Now, what's wrong with these people? I mean, he just led them out of, the, he, out of Egypt through the dead gum parted Red Sea destroyed the enemies. He's given them fresh water here, gave them palm trees here, and now they want to kill him because they can't get water. What's wrong with these people? This is the first Baptist church in the Bible right there. <laughs> they wanted to stone him. I've been, I've been Moses. 
Ben Moses. Next week, we're going to talk about Moses. We're talking about resilience and how God's working, how God wants to work through your life and resilience. But looking at this passage, God says to Moses, strike the rock and water gushed forth. He struck the rock and water gushed forth. And author Pink, one of the commentaries on Exodus said, the striking of the rock was symbolic foreshadowing to the striking of Christ who will gush his mercy out on us. That was pretty good, author. You ought to preach that. So I thought I might. And it's this, this wonderful thing. And then as I looked at Exodus more, I discovered this. Exodus is full of symbolism. That the exodus of the Hebrew children is synonymous with our exodus from the bondage of sin, our life in the struggle, in the process of sanctification, before we reach the glorious promised land of heaven with Christ when we're dead. That we are in the wilderness of sin, brothers and sisters. And the battle is real and the struggle is onslaught. And and we we could be ignorant of the battle. We could be sleepy in the battle. Or we could be aware of the battle that we are in the struggle against who we once were to who we're becoming in Christ. And we struggle. We struggle. So I want to give you some things to help you understand the symbolism of the book of Exodus. Here they are. Egypt is always representing the world and the bondage of sin, the world and its order and the bondage of sin. The Hebrew children found themselves strangers in a strange land. Strangers in a strange land, to quote Leon Russell. Anybody ever heard of Leon Russell? I see some of you probably have. Strangers in a strange land. The desert and the Nile juxtaposition against the promised land. The desert and the Nile represented the struggle between the desert invading the fertile land of the Nile and the Nile flooding it over and recapturing the land. That's the struggle we have in our spiritual life. How we make ground and then we lose ground and we make ground and we lose ground. And the promised land is a symbol of the life of peace and rest when we come to our fullness in Christ. We have not reached the promised land, y'all. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Life is hard, it gets harder, but God is good and he gets gooder. Bad grammar, good theology. So it's that process as God brings us together. Israel, the nation of Israel, represents the people of God and the new life out of bondage. It represents you and me. Now, we are not Israel. That's replacement theology. We're not that. But this is analogous or a symbol that this is the adventure we're going to be on. God put the Hebrew children for 40 years in the wilderness to get the Egyptian out of them. But he also puts us in this this position of straining to get us prepared for heaven. This life is preparation for the next life. In this world, there will be struggles. Moses is a rescuer, and he's also a type of Christ, that he's foreshadowing the deliverer, King Jesus. Now, Moses is a broken rescuer. Moses is a flawed rescuer. Moses is a man with a past. It's not how you start, it's how you're finished, right? Moses was a murderer. He was an idolater. But God moved in his heart at the burning bush. He yielded his life to the great, mess, the great mission of God and became the messenger of God and the liberator for God. He is a foreshadowing of Christ. And so as the deliverer, listen to me, y'all. Every one of us are to be a Moses to somebody. We're to be a Moses to somebody. We need to look for our Hebrew children 
among us in order to lead them out of captivity. Pharaoh represents Satan. Satan's a, a, a lion, and he's seeking to destroy, to, to steal, kill, and destroy, to tempt, and to persuade, and to lead astray. And the journey across the wilderness is the trials and hardships of our journey of faith. And so as we look at these symbols of Exodus, we can see that there's something deeper here in this passage, verse 17. And I want to take you on that adventure with me together today. Are y'all ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, that you will speak through me. That'll not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us to all understanding. And Father, I pray that you open my mind, help me to remember, but Father, more important, speak to my heart that I might be transformed by the renewing of my mind as I let your word become bread and honey, milk and meat. So thank you for what you're going to do, what you're going to say, and I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Now, you're going to want to jot down some notes, so go ahead and take out your study guides. Let me remind you of our website and all the resources we provide for you, the group studies that are online, the readings that are online, the materials we have for you. Uh, Starting in about two weeks, we're going to preach through the book of Acts, and so we have some resources available uh, for the book of Acts. I'm really excited about the book of Acts. It's going to take us 13 weeks, all of summer, to go through Acts, and we're dividing it into uh, 26 sessions, so group time and the gathering time, and then your God reading. You can buy a copy of the book of Acts in a singular form, in a journal form, like we had with John and Luke, and they're available at the Resource Center. You pick one up today and kind of get a head start on the book of Acts. Also, y'all, I've been working on 2020, and I'm deeming, I know this is gonna sound so corny, the year 2020 is gonna be the year of vision. I know it's cheesy, but it works, the year of vision. In the year of vision, here's some things I'm thinking about teaching. I want to teach you the book of Joshua. What does it mean to live in the promised land? I will teach you that. What does God see for your life? I will teach the book of Nehemiah. What is God saying to us? I wrote a whole commentary on the book of Nehemiah, and I've never preached it. So I'm looking forward to preaching through the book of Nehemiah. Also, I'm thinking very seriously about doing a series on heaven about seeing eternity, being able to see God's view of heaven. Would that be interesting to you? Would you guys bring your friends if I preached on heaven? Of course, we may have to say a little something about hell too. We'll turn the thermostat up and we'll, because about July it's gonna feel like hell here, okay? Yeah. The only person happy is the devil and he's sweating, okay? So look at, those are some of the things. So y'all pray about it as I, I kind of get ready for the vision of 2020. Does that sound exciting? All right, now back to this task at hand. So let's look at Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to start with verse 8, and we're going to go through about verse 16 as God is speaking to us from this kind of interesting account that is more than you perceived. It's not just about Moses having his arms held up, but there's a lot more symbolism here. Then Amalek came and fought against the Israel at Raphidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill, the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now, wait a second. Where did Joshua learn how to fight? These Hebrew children have been slaves for 435 years. Where did they learn how to have an army? How did they even learn how to battle? 
because Moses was a military genius, was a military hero. He was a general in the armies of Egypt. He led the Egyptian army against the Ethiopians and also led a campaign up into the Holy Land, stopping at Megiddo where he fought a battle there. In a few weeks, those of you who are going to Israel with me are going to go to Megiddo, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And this is amazing how Moses had said, Joshua, here's what you do. Let me train the troops. They had 600, no, excuse me, 600,000, 600,000 fighting men. And they trained them, and they were fighting against Amalek. Why in the world were they fighting against Amalek? Because Amalek is an adversity, adversity. And we'll talk more about who they are and what they are in just a second. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put, put him on it, put, put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Folks, when you get weary of the battle of your life, you better have somebody holding up your hands and you better set yourself down on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Without the rock of Jesus and the helping hands of your brothers, you will be defeated. But with Christ, you are more than conquerors in him who's loved you. It's the changing of our heart and our lives in the power of God and the power of God's community. When his hands were steady, and he held his hands steady until the sun, going down to the sun. Had Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword, and Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to the ears of Joshua, and I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi is the Hebrew word. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So here's some things I want you to understand. The spiritual battle of your life is real. It is real. When you come to Jesus, it ain't done, y'all. You get yourself saved. You say, Jesus, I'm yours. The battle starts raging. Why? Because while you're a child of the devil, he coddles you and holds you, and he's got you. When you become a child of the king, you become an enemy of the devil, and he attacks you. I heard a preacher say this one time. If you're not beating the devil, you're going in the same direction. I think that's probably true. Some of y'all say, well, I haven't seen the devil in a long time. Well, where you headed? Because when you start standing for the Lord, the battle is real. The Lord works in our hearts. The Hebrews were attacked by Amalek. Amalek they were the Amalekites or Amalek, that's the name of the grandson of Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. Y'all tracking with me? So these were cousins attacking cousins. Why in the world was Esau's relatives attacking their cousins? There's several reasons, but I want you to get some symbolism here. First of all, the name Esau, the name he was given to him is Esau. Interesting names. Esau meant profane. The Latin for Esau means one on the threshold or outside the temple. That's what it means, living outside the temple. 
Esau lived his whole life as a profane man far away from God. Esau had a chance to be the one who received the blessing, but because he chose the way of the world, the blessing went to Jacob, who his name meant deceiver. Rebecca and Isaac had two boys named Profane Deceiver. <laughs> I guess they had run out of names. They could have named one of them Scott, but they didn't. But Jacob had an encounter with God, and his name became Israel. And he became the one who represented the nations of the world, the covenant promise that Abraham was given. Jacob received the promise, and he became Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. Why did Amalek attack their brothers? A few reasons. One of them might have just been opportunity. This was an evil people. They did evil things. They operated in all kinds of sexual perversion, all kinds of profane perversion. They were profane people. They lived far away from God. So opportunity, they were just doing what comes to them natural. But also they could have been seeking revenge that the followers, the descendants of Jacob had stolen the birthright of Esau. It could have been generational sin curse coming down for retribution because whichever it was, it's this, y'all. When you come to Christ... You got the old man still attached to you. Jacob and Esau represent in, in Exodus. Israel and Amalek represent the new life in Christ and the old life in bondage of sin. When you come to Christ, guess what? This old man hadn't left. He's tied to you. And whichever one you feed, the flesh or the spirit, become stronger, stronger. If you're feeding the spirit, the spiritual man through time and the word and prayer and fellowship and faithful service by connecting, growing, serving, and sharing, that's why we talk about those things, y'all. This is food for your soul that the flesh withers. But if you feed the flesh with hurts, habits, and hangups and addiction and vice and slandering, and gossiping, and lying, and disunity, the flesh will prevail. Whew. Pastor, why do you talk about this stuff all the time? Because I want you to win the war of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh, if I walk by the Spirit, I'm not going to give way to the gratification of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For there's no, they, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. When I come to Christ, I'm a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. But the old man and his rotting flesh remains. And I'm at, I'm at war with who I once was. Who I once was. Oh. Paul said it this way. 
for I do not do the good I want. This is Paul. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin, the old man that dwells within me. But I see it in my members, another law waging a war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What Paul was saying here, and I've told you this before, but you forgot. Because that's our problem. We don't listen and we forget. When we do listen, we forget what we've heard. That's coming to a sermon next week. But here's the deal. Paul was using an analogy here of a Phoenician form of ancient punishment, capital punishment. When a, someone committed a murder and was found guilty, the court would take a corpse and attach it to the living man. And that corpse would rot and decay and it would spill over to the man and finally killing him. Who will free me from this corpse that's attached to me. Thanks be unto God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am preserved from the rotting decay of the old man who's still attached to me. A sign of spiritual maturity is this. Listen, promoting unity in the body of Christ and the willingness to admit sin and repent of it quickly. The battle's real. And Satan loves to attack us. He reminds us of who we were. He tempts us with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. He does those things. This Exodus passage points out the spiritual struggle between Esau and the, the, the old man and the new man of Israel. We fight the fight of the flesh until we are dead. Then we live in the promised land of heaven. So don't give up. You see, I can live in this glorious, I can live my life in the ignorance of the battle and never become all that Christ wants me to be. Or I can be informed and transformed and live all for Jesus in spite of the battle. I can become a battle-hardened victor. We salute our military guys. War will harden you, will it not? But Christ makes you a champion in the war of your soul. For we, not, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 12. So many of us live defeated lives because we don't battle. We yield to the flesh. We yield to the flesh. So would y'all like to know how to battle? Would you like some techniques? Because there's hope. Here's your weapons. Your weapons are mighty through prayer for the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer. The holding up of Moses' arms was prayer. 
Aaron and her stood in the gap for their leader and they held us up arms in prayer. Throughout scripture, lifting holy hands are absolutely a sign or a symbol of prayer. I remember we started Parkway Church in the 90s and we're coming right out of kind of the charismatic movement. This is a bunch of Baptists and they came and they said, well, pastor, what are you going to do? People start raising their hands and singing and praying with their hands. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to let them. What? You know, we're Baptists. We don't do that. And I said, there's over 300 scriptures about raising your hands to God. Well, are we going to be Baptists or Biblicists? And they said, well, we're Baptists. I said, well, bye. There's plenty of Baptist churches you can go to. And you can go sit and sour and soak and rot and stink over there. It's the lifting up of prayer. Listen to this. I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. 1 Timothy 2.8. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Psalms 28.2. Now you can play church and raise your hands. Or you can fight the battle with prayer, saying, Jesus, I need your help. You see, prayer makes me aware of my need for God. My need for God. When I was a teenager, I was not living for the Lord, actually a young man. And I came home one night, and my little mama was on her knees praying for me. I think she staged it. But it worked. It worked. Somebody's praying. I can feel it. Somebody's praying for me. Mighty hands are guiding me to protect me from what I can't see.
I want to tell you this as your pastor. I pray for you. Most of the time I'm saying, help them, Jesus. Amen. I'm praying for you. I pray for my precious wife every day, usually multiple times a day. I pray for my kids. I pray for my grandchildren. I pray, that, I pray that this church will be the church that blesses to the thousandth generation. Do you know what we're living right now is a vision that Dr. Richard Cheatham had in 1994. And I thank Dr. Cheatham for having that vision, for us to be a disciple-making church, to be a building lives church that honors God. And it doesn't matter who stands in this pulpit from now on, we will be a church that lives all for Jesus. Amen? Now, I ain't done aggravating y'all yet. So we're going to hang around. Therefore, confess your sins one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. Resilience, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't you dare quit. Don't you give in. So many times in the life of Moses, Moses wanted to quit. Three times he tells God, just kill me. But resilience proves that God is faithful. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the man who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on that wayward kid. Don't give up on God giving you a breakthrough in your health. Don't give up on God helping you financially. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Community. We need each other. Aaron and her are representative. Aaron represented the priesthood. That's us together. We are a church of priests. You all have the authority. You're not all pastors, but you're all priests. You don't have to be a pastor here to baptize. We're priests. We can baptize. You don't have to be a pastor to, to pass out communion. We're pastors. We're, we're priests. We can pass out communion. You don't have to be a pastor to pray for one another. We're priests. We can pray for one another. Be somebody's priest. Her represented God. His name means light or heavenly light. Huh. Heaven's praying for you. Heaven is praying for you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8, 26. And you need a group of people to pray with you. 
whether it's an on-campus Sunday school group, an off-campus group of men or women or a pod or a home group, it doesn't matter. Get yourself connected because Satan is looking to eat the unconnected. You need God's word. Someone asked me the other day how many scriptures I have memorized. I don't know. I don't know. I ain't counting. In fact, I, don't, I ain't doing that to impress y'all. I care less what y'all think, obviously. But listen, I care what God thinks. I love what this says, this translation in particular. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I don't have a little tucked away scripture. I got a whole dadgum reservoir. And I want to live my life out of the reservoir of knowing Christ, not the trickling stream of a flash flood hill country rainstorm. Because God is able. God is able. This whole passage shows me the battle. This whole passage shows me the victory. This whole passage shows me that one day I'll be done with the troubles of this world, going home to live with God. No more weeping and wailing. No more weeping and wailing. No more weeping and wailing. I'm going to live with God. But until that time, I'm going to fight. I'm going to battle. Tara needs me to battle. She don't need no fleshy husband. I'm kind of fleshy anyway. She don't need that kind of, she needs, she needs a spiritual skinny boy. Because <laughs> she got the physical other boy. My children need a godly man. You need a godly pastor, don't you? I need you to be godly men and women so that we can beat back the powers of darkness and set the captives free. God's got big plans for us. Satan is our enemy, and he's deceived us. Even youths faint and be weary. Young men shall faint and exhaust, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Thou shalt run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Satan desires that you be lost and isolated or weak or sleepy or ignorant. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Amaleks would pick off the weak and the strugglers just like Satan did until Moses said, dead gummit, go whoop them. And you know what? They didn't defeat them. He sent Saul to defeat them and he didn't defeat them. And so the Amalekites became a, a, a scourge did you know King Saul, who was supposed to defeat the Amalekites, who didn't do what God wanted him to do, was killed by Amalekite? Do you know King David's family was carried off into bondage at Ziglag by Amalekites? Did you know Haman, who tried to eradicate the Jews in the book of Esther, was an Amalekite? Did you know Herod the Great, who murdered the babies of Bethlehem, was an Amalekite? We got Amalekites in the room today profane people who are pretending to be a part of the body of Christ and you are not. And today the Lord says it's time to change your family and be born again. Quit being an Amalekite in the midst of the people of God and become a daughter or a son of the Most High God. So we got to protect each other. If you're a leader and you're not protecting the weak in the faith that you're no leader. If you're a leader and you're not and you're joining into disunity, you are not a leader. And you got some Amalekite blood in you. 
I've watched over and over Satan attack the weak and use them to derail God's church. We must be on guard and we should never permit it. I got one weak amen. Thank you, that's better. Listen, listen. Don't measure a church by its commitment to tradition. Measure a church by God's word. The methods of the past will not last, but the message of salvation in King Jesus is timeless. Why is it that as a pastor, every time I promote change in our method, it's met with the hollering of the Amalekites? When it's biblical and godly, shouldn't we pursue it with everything we have? Wow. You see, God's our banner, Jehovah Nissi. We do not have a memorial to any man. We have a banner lifted to our great God. Moses did not build a monument to himself or Joshua like the Egyptians did. He lifted a banner to God because God gets the glory. So shall we lift a banner. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. We give him the praise and the glory. All of it. Why? Because, my friends, we are in a raging battle for the hearts, souls, and lives of men and women, boys and girls. It requires our best efforts, our brightest minds, our whole lives. We are called by God to join him in the depopulation of hell. And that means you. That means me. All for Jesus.